You're listening to the Jesus for Everyone podcast, a podcast where we talk about the intersection of faith and social justice and what a first century Jewish prophet of the poor from Galilee offers us today in our work of love, compassion, and justice. To support this podcast, go to renewedheartministries.com and click donate. The gospel message here, and it's one of my favorite Advent themes, is that salvation or change, liberation, it doesn't come from the center of our societies. It doesn't come from the places of power. It comes from the edges, from the margins. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Jesus for Everyone podcast. My name is Herb Montgomery, and this is episode 398. Our title this week is Advent, Hope, and Living on the Margins. And our reading is from the Gospel of Luke. This is Luke 3, 1 through 6. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, Tetrarch of Iteria, Draconitis, and Lysanias, Tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. I love this week's reading for so many reasons. The narrative has the word of God coming to John in an unusual location. John, remember, was a son of Zechariah the priest. We find that in Luke 1 verse 5. Therefore, by lineage, he should not be in the wilderness acting like an ancient Hebrew prophet. He should have been occupying his place in the temple services, being a priest like his father. Instead, John rejected the path of of working in the system or or changing the system from the inside out, as we might say today. And I I can imagine the struggle that, that John might have gone through when he told his father that he wasn't going to be following the family's expectations and And he was going to abandon a path toward priesthood for instead the margins of his society, the edges, the wilderness. The the narrative contrast between the temple versus the wilderness, it resurrects a a tension that's repeated by the Hebrew prophets. It's the centralized temple state and its priesthood versus those on the margins or edges of their society. The Hebrew prophets in the wilderness, they called for justice, for liberation, and and for all violence against societies vulnerable to cease. This contrast, it it takes on an even more, um, uh, it takes on even more meaning when one realizes that that one national myth of the Judean temple state was that Jerusalem and the temple would eventually become the center of the world. All nations would flow to it. Consider these passages, and and, and um, I'll try to zero in on the parts I want you to focus on. It's in Psalms 2, verse 6, it says, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. 
that's that's language Zion, my holy mountain. Um, that that meant the temple in Jerusalem. In Psalms fourteen seven, it says, "Oh, that salvation for Israel would come." Out of Zion, Jerusalem and the temple, when the Lord restores his people, let Jacob rejoice and be glad. Psalm 69, 35-46, for God will save Zion. And that, remember, Zion meant Jerusalem, and including the temple, and rebuild the cities of Judah. Then people will settle there and possess it. The children of his servants will inherit it, and those who love his name will dwell there. Psalms 102, 15-16, the nations will fear the name of the Lord. All the kings of the earth will revere your glory, for the Lord will rebuild Zion. That's, again, Jerusalem and the temple and appear in his glory. He will respond to the prayer of the destitute. He will not despise their plea. Let this be written for a future generation that people not yet created may praise the Lord. For the Lord looked down from his sanctuary on high. From heaven he viewed the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners and release those condemned to death. So the name of the Lord will be declared in Zion. Remember, that's Jerusalem and the temple and his praise in Jerusalem when the peoples and the kingdoms assemble to worship the Lord. In Isaiah 4 verse 5, it says, Then the Lord will create over all, uh, over all, uh, uh, all of Mount Zion, again, Jerusalem and the temple, and over those who assemble there, a cloud of smoke by day and a glowing a glow of flaming fire by night over everything that the glory will be a canopy. Isaiah 18, 7, at that time, gifts will be brought to the Lord Almighty from a, a people tall and smooth skin, from a people feared far and wide, an aggressive nation of strange speech whose land is divided by rivers. The gifts will be brought to Mount Zion. Remember, Jerusalem and the temple in the place of the name of the Lord Almighty. And lastly, Isaiah 60, 10 through 14, foreigners will rebuild your walls and their kings will serve you. Though in anger I struck you, in favor I'll show you compassion. Your gates will always stand open. They will never be shut day or night so that people may bring you the wealth of the nations. Their kings led in triumphal procession for the nation or kingdom that will not serve you will perish. It'll be utterly ruined for the glory of Lebanon will come to you, the juniper, the fir, the cypress together to adorn my sanctuary and I will glorify the place for my feet. The children of your oppressors will come bowing before you and all who despise you will bow down at your feet and will call you the city of the Lord, Zion of the Holy One of Israel. So again, there's this strong emphasis on Jerusalem and the temple, and not only it being restored, but all the nations being brought to it. In the Gospels, John had to reject all of this. He he turns his back on this national myth, uh, the, this mythos, uh, that that this narrative that 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 said that uh, the city and the temple um, uh, would be is the center of of of, of uh, liberation hopes and and restoration hopes, and, and instead he takes up residence along the margins or the wilderness of his own society. The gospel message here, and it's one of my favorite favorite Advent themes is that salvation or change, liberation, it doesn't come from the center of our societies. It doesn't come from the places of power. It comes from the edges, from the margins. In Say to This Mountain by Ched Myers, uh, Marie Dennis, Joseph Nangle, Cynthia Moe, Labida, and Stuart Taylor, these authors write, and this is page 11, 
say to this mountain mark story of discipleship, the experience of wilderness is common to the vast majority of people in the world. Their reality is at the margins of almost everything that is defined by the modern Western world as the good life. This wilderness has not been created by accident. It is the result of a system stacked against many people and their communities whose lives and resources are exploited to benefit a very small minority at the centers of power and privilege. It is created by lifestyles that deplete and pollute natural resources. Wilderness is the residue of war and greed and injustice. So as Advent begins, it begins by birthing hope within people who live in the wilderness spaces of their society. It tells them that their lived experience on the margins of any society is not the result of divine will. It's Rather, it's the result of social political, economic, and even religious forces that are wielded by the privileged and the powerful in our communities. A reading this week from Luke, it also corrects a conflation of passages that we, we read first in Mark's gospel. Remember, much of Luke and Matthew are just enlargements of, of what Mark was what was originally in Mark's gospel. So the, uh, in Mark 1, 1 through 3, it says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. I want you to notice that there, there's two passages. That In Luke, we hear the voice of one calling in the wilderness. But in Mark, we hear this phrase of, of a messenger being sent ahead to prepare the way, and then a, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. These words, they're not from the same source. Uh, uh, they're not from only from Isaiah. They're actually from Exodus, Malachi, and Isaiah, even though Mark only references Isaiah. In Exodus 23, 20, it says, See, I'm sending an angel ahead of you to guard you along the way and bring you to the place I have prepared. In Malachi 3, 1, it says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord who you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. So these words from both Exodus and Malachi, but especially, let's talk about Exodus, the ones from Exodus first. They, they speak of the liberation of Hebrew slaves and those from other groups who left uh, Egypt with them. And yet I, I question, even though this is a liberation passage, uh, liberation from oppression, uh, I question what the indigenous peoples of Canaan thought about this, given the, the history of how these same stories, uh, how they were used against indigenous peoples here in America. Uh, we have to consider, and we have to be very careful to remember that the liberation of one community, it should not mean the genocide of another. And, and the context of the passage in Malachi, again, is God coming to God's temple, opposing, and this is from verse 5, just a, a couple passages later, um, those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless and deprive foreigners among you of justice. That, that brings to mind um, uh, defrauding laborers of their wages and foreigners of justice and widows and fatherless. It, it brings to mind a lot of what's going on even in, in this country right now, dealing with the minimum uh, wage debates and, and, and uh, uh, the way immigration is still um, unjustly being handled. Um, because of this passage, I think of those today who, who, who also have to work for more than 40 hours uh, each week 
week for for less pay than they uh, need to actually survive on. So, so Luke's gospel, it drops these references to Exodus and Malachi here in the beginning that Mark has, and it keeps only the passage from Isaiah. Uh, and, and this isn't, I don't think you can say that this is because Luke is ignoring these liberation themes. Uh, 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 Luke brings up this same passage later in Luke 7.27. It says, this is the one about whom it is written, I'll send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare the way of the Lord. So, so Luke does later use the Exodus and the Malachi uh, liberation themes. But, but uh, uh, he's, I think he's trying to, uh, whoever wrote Luke is trying to, uh, I think here, just trying to correct the the conflation again uh, of Exodus, Malachi, and Isaiah all together that we find in Mark. Regardless, the point this week is that these these uh, um, narrative elements in the uh, the Advent passages that they're they're uh, they're deeply rooted in liberation and restoration of justice, the end of violence, and not not just for people religiously, but politically, economically, and socially. The passage in Isaiah reads, "A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway." for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level, the rugged places plain. I love one of my uh, one of my friends, uh, uh, Robbie uh, Walker, says about this passage, he says that uh, uh, then we're not called to build the kingdom. We're only called to prepare the way for the kingdom. Both John and Jesus emerge from the margins of their society, as we talked a minute ago, that wilderness location. And they come in the theme of liberation, to liberate oppressed people and restore justice to them. The Gospels describe John as the forerunner for the reign of God that Jesus taught. And Jesus came, remember, what did the reign of God look like? He, he was calling for change, for a restoration of justice. But, but, but change doesn't just happen. Before any social change has ever taken place, like, like uh, John before Jesus, there have been years of groundwork that has been laid. And, and many of those who, who did that initial groundwork, they never even lived long enough to see the fruit of their labor. They worked for a generation yet to come. And change doesn't always have to take that long. I want to be very careful. Um, we can always choose to change today, but 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 many times it does take years of groundwork first for rough places to be made smooth and, and valleys to be lifted and, and mountains to be laid low. Um, uh, I think of the changes taking place presently in the state of Georgia, just as one example. The political changes that we're witnessing in Georgia, they have resulted from years of groundwork by so many people, including Stacey Abrams, who, who gets most of the credit in the media. But there have been so many people that she's worked with and worked beside and so much important work done by all of them that, that, uh, 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 that, 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 that went into the, the changes that we see. The changes just didn't materialize out of thin air. Changes today, they depend also on the work of generations who have gone before us, people who chose to do the work uh, that they did, not knowing for sure that change would even come. They chose to live the kind of lives they lived. 
because that was the type of people either they were or they refused to let the they were refusing to let the the system shape them into something else. They they, they lived their lives in, in in a way that even if they didn't uh, change the system, at least the system wouldn't change them. And, and others did their work simply because it was the right thing to do. Still, others they labored because they actually hoped that one day society would quote unquote reach the promised land, whether they were there to witness it or not. One more thing I want to mention this week. This week's reading includes two highly charged religious words, and that is repentance and forgiveness. And if it helps, think of repentance as just thinking about things differently. It's much more about experiencing a paradigm shift than it is about the negative connotations that religious abuse usually attaches to the term. And remember, too, that although contemporary Christianity often discusses forgiveness in the context of personal or individual morality, for the Hebrew prophets, forgiveness and repentance, it sat in the context of calls for systemic change and liberating a nation from injustices harmful effects the hebrew prophetic tradition it speaks of the of sin as social injustice and repentance as turning away from social injustice and forgiveness as social restoration from that social injustice and this is the context of john's message that his listeners change their unjust ways for for god's reign god's just future was near. I, I think of our society again now. I think of uh, LGBTQ justice work. I think of racial justice work. I think of justice work for women. I think of economic justice for for those our press our present system pushes into poverty. I, I think of indigenous justice. I think of climate justice. There are so many justice movements that are presently engaging our world and seeking to make it a safer, compassionate, just home for everyone. During this Advent season, I also think of the Jesus story not only as a Christian story to celebrate at Christmas time. But it's also, remember, first and foremost, a liberation story that 2,000 years ago inspired hope in those who were being forced to live on the edges of their own society's margins. What does Advent have to say to those of us living on the margins in our world today? Heart Group application number one, share something that spoke to you from this week's Eastside or podcast episode with your heart group. Number two, how does Advent speak of liberation for you? And discuss that with your group. And then number three, what can you do this week, big or small, to continue setting in motion the work of shaping our world into a safe, compassionate, just home for everyone? Thanks for checking in with us today, right where you are. Keep living in love, choosing compassion, taking action and working toward justice. I love each one of you dearly. I'll see you next week.